0: Christine, it is so great to have you today.
1: Thank you so much, Lauren. I'm super excited to chat with you and hopefully deliver some value to your listeners.
0: Yes, we're going to be talking about LinkedIn. But before we get into that, I would love to know you've had a lot of success as a freelance copywriter. And I would love to know if you could tell us how you got started doing that.
1: Yes. So it's interesting. I majored in English in school in college. And honestly, I don't know if it's just the type of school I went to, which was primarily a business school, but Mm Marketing and copywriting, this was not even in my mind. I really had no idea that this was an option. And as an English major, my school at least was really directing us towards like, hey, you should become a professor or like stay in academia. And if you don't come from a family that has money, the thought of going on to earn a master's degree and put yourself in even more student loan debt. It just wasn't a possibility for me. So I majored in English because that was my strength. I loved reading and writing, but as soon as I graduated, I had to find a quote unquote real job, right? I had to get my career started, find a way to pay rent in one of the most expensive cities, which was New York city. And I wanted to pay back my student loans. It was just kind of like dire times. And I wound up going into sales. Now, Mm -hmm it's interesting. I'm pretty introverted and it expends a lot of energy for me to talk to people and and selling was not something that I would ever say, Oh, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, I used to sell this when I was a kid. So I knew I'd be a salesperson. That was not me at all. I think what got me into that field was that I had been working since I was 14. Like I have had every job under the sun, the dollar store, the cashier, the grocery store. My first (laughs) job was at McDonald's at the drive-thru. So I always understood people and how to interact with people and how to be customer facing. Mm. I think that's, I think, I guess why I got my foot in the door as a salesperson. I was making good money and I was doing well, despite not really liking it. I was An inside sales rep on a sales floor with a bunch of dudes and making a hundred outbound cold calls per day. So it was really, really brutal, but genuinely I didn't think there was any other option for me. So I would take fiction writing courses on the side. I would do a ton of writing at night, but it just never seemed like a possibility. So I stayed in this career path. I was in sales pretty much my entire twenties. I worked my way up from being an inside sales rep to managing, managing my own territory. I became a sales trainer. I was very much in this like corporate world and thinking like okay this is what I need to do to hustle and make money and I achieved a lot in that time I paid off my student loan debt I bought a car in cash I was finally like financially solvent which was a huge accomplishment for me and anyone who graduated college with student loan debt knows that like mm-hmm. you basically are starting out in a hole you're really like you're behind the ball in a lot of ways but honestly I was very burnt out from my sales career and I just didn't know what ultimately I wanted to do. I knew what my passions were, but I didn't think I could ever make a living doing this. So I stayed in the sales career, but I was becoming very burnt out, very high pressure, a lot of micromanagement, a lot of traveling, a lot of going into the office, things that didn't really feel great to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then at a certain point, I really just burnt out completely. And I wound up quitting with no backup plan. Now, Mm -hmm. One of the main catalysts for why I finally left sales behind for good was actually because I was being sexually harassed at my mm. I had the job of selling technology to school districts, to technology managers, and just the dynamic of being like a young female in like this very... Male dominated environment. And I think just the power dynamics of having to sell to mm-hmm. the end buyer and them having all the power and them trying to hold it over me and them being inappropriate and saying, Yeah, like I'll buy from you, but let's get drinks. Like little mm-hmm. things like that over time was just like, you know, how much longer do I need to put up with this shit when meanwhile the guy next to me is like going playing golf and they're buddies and he's getting all the sales. And I'm sitting here dealing with like inappropriate annoyances and just totally. It just became like too much, and I quit with no backup plan. Now, this was the first time that I was unemployed since I was like 14 years old. I'd always worked throughout my entire life, even in college. So, this was kind of like a time period where I was getting in touch with, like, okay, what do I want to do? What Mm -hmm. can I do? What are my options? And because my nervous system finally got that little break, I was literally collecting unemployment checks. Mm. I was like, okay, you know, I took all of the career assessments, the personality test. I went and saw a college counselor that does career counseling, whatever. And I'll never forget, I went to lunch with my mom one day and she was like, well, why don't you just try the writing thing? Like, you've always wanted to do this. This is what you're good at. Don't give up on that dream. Mm. And something about the time period in which she said that, I actually gave it a chance because obviously that had been in the back of my mind, but I just didn't think it was realistic. I'm like, you know, I always put it off. This isn't for me. This isn't going to work. I need to make money. I need to pay my bills. Have a real job yeah, this isn't like fun, pursue my passions, whatever. So that day I kind of went down the YouTube rabbit hole because I'm like a huge person with, with YouTube. Like some people love Instagram and TikTok. I, if you look at my data on my phone, it's disgusting how much time I spent on YouTube, <laughs> watching like just stuff. But so I'm like, okay, I'm watching all this YouTube stuff. Why don't I try and see what people are saying about this whole writing thing? So it started off with work from home jobs, how to, Make money writing articles, all the typical Mm -hmm. Google searches that every freelance copywriter kind of starts their journey with. And I discovered freelance copywriting and it made sense to me because I'm like, okay, I know what it's like to sell. I would book meetings with prospects in my sales job. So understanding that copywriting was really just persuasion and selling with words. Okay. I got that. Mm -hmm. But then there was the whole question of how to get clients. And there was people online saying, you know, cold email, cold pitch. And I'm like, okay, well I was doing that in these sales jobs. I was literally, except I was doing it via phone and email. I was getting my foot in the door with these clients. So I'm like, okay, I've been doing that for companies for the past couple of years. Why don't I just try to like sell myself as a freelance copywriter and I just followed those steps. I made a website. I created my writing portfolio with self-published samples because I had never written professionally before. I had no experience. Mm-hmm. And then I got you know, my online presence, my ducks in a row, and I started emailing. Mm-hmm. I did not find much luck with emailing, even though cold emailing technically is effective. I know I mm-hmm. had a ton in my past job, but it was LinkedIn that really did it for me. Mm. I Changed my profile on LinkedIn and I literally started cold pitching on LinkedIn. And within 30 days, I had landed my first client, and they were paying me $1,100 per month on a retainer to write <laughs> blogs. And when that happened, when I got that first invoice paid, I was like, "Oh my god! If I do this four more times, I could pay all of my bills." Because my studio apartment rent was $1,100 at the month or at the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm paying my rent with this one client. And Mm -hmm. if I repeat this, I can, I can fully pay my bills and like, try to figure this out. So I just kept pitching. I just kept taking on clients. And within my first year I made, I don't know, $50,000, which was actually like a 50% pay cut from what I was making in sales. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was so worth it to be working at home Mm -hmm. without a boss. Like it was, literally mind blowing because I had read the four hour work week and like dreamed of, you know, all the stuff you see online, people chat yeah. in the digital nomad stuff. So to know that I was actually doing something like that and I didn't ever have to go into an office again, and I didn't have to have a boss was seriously mind blowing to me. And that was in 2018, 2019. And I have been self-employed, gainfully self-employed as a freelancer ever since. And I'm really happy. And that's really, and I know Lauren, that your story is similar. Once you find success doing something, you want to yell it from the rooftops and teach other people. And that's really what led me to create my brand paidcopywriter.com, which is me just sharing my journey and sharing with other people how they can get on LinkedIn and do this and become a freelancer. Because unfortunately, most people don't have that Sales background. So, cold pitching can feel like such a foreign concept and so uncomfortable. And there's a lot of mental blocks there. So, it all really came full circle for me because I thought I was in like the wrong career. And oh my God, why am I stuck in this horrible job? But I was being prepared and really positioned to be doing exactly what I'm doing today and actually feel fulfilled in my career. So, I know that was a lot, <laughs> but that's my story.
0: Yeah, no, that's incredible. And I I think that so many of us can relate to just that, like you said, like maybe you made $50,000 that first year, which was less than you were making. But when you, when things start to work and you realize like, oh my gosh, okay, I just need three more clients and I I can live on this. And then you also realize that this is just the beginning, right? Like when you, you know, you can obviously in, in a corporate job, you can continue to, you know, go up that ladder. But in the freelance space, like there really is like no cap to what you do to what you can do. So that first year, it's like you're getting, you know, or even like the first six months, you're getting your feet wet, you're really you're proving to yourself that you can do it. And you still know that, wow, I it's only up from here.
1: Yes. And unlike a corporate job where you kind of have to, I don't want to say beg, but you have to really make a case. because you know, I, I used to ask for raises from my bosses, it was just dramatic, nerve wracking, Mm -hmm. uh, gathering numbers and stats and trying to build a case for why I deserved this salary increase. But as a freelancer, you literally go into your Canva doc, raise your prices and then shoot your shot. So it's just like, of course, it's not as easy to be like, oh, I just determine what I make. Of course, you have to earn it. Of course, you have to work. Of course, you have to improve and justify those rates. Mm-hmm. But it really is as simple as just raising your rates and finding a client who will pay that.
0: Mm-hmm. Or like in learning about, oh, if I add this on or I go this route or like your business is yours. So if you if you hit a ceiling somewhere, then you can say, okay, what about if I do it this way? Okay, that's the next thing. Okay, how about I do it this way? And it's like you're walking down a hallway and you're just opening up doors versus like you said, you know, in a corporate in the corporate world it's like you're you're on their schedule you know you can you could even if you make an amazing case to them they're like oh yep we're not giving raises out this quarter and and oh that's it
1: exactly i couldn't agree more
0: yeah so yeah we love staying on top of the strategies to land clients of course and we, like you said you you had a ton of success on linkedin and you talk about it with others <laughs> can you share with us how we can use linkedin to find clients
1: Sure. So the number one thing is really optimizing your profile. You have to start there, right? Because what I mainly teach is cold pitching, but if you're not properly positioned and your online presence isn't optimized for the client, you could have a great cold pitch and get your foot in the door, but then they go to your profile and they're like, "Hmm, I'm not really sure about this person. Right? So The first step is to properly optimize your profile. And that's really, really simple and something that whether you're a podcast manager, anyone in the freelance world who's offering a freelance service has the ability to go and change their LinkedIn headline to optimize it for search, to add relevant portfolio pieces, to add a description, to add the quote unquote about me section, which is kind of like, I would say a cover letter version. Like if the LinkedIn profile is your resume, your about me section is your cover letter, your Mm -hmm. CV. So optimizing that correctly is the first step. And then once you're optimized, it's really a matter of engaging and how you can engage is in a few different ways. It's connecting with people who are relevant in your feed, in your field, making those connections. It's engaging in terms of liking, commenting, and sharing, which I think is huge because, and I know your audience might resonate with this as well, I'm not someone who posts content on LinkedIn, yet I built my entire business on this platform Mm -hmm. simply by using it in two ways, cold pitching and inbound, meaning people find me when they search for a freelance writer. If you told me, hey, you're going to have to become a thought leader on LinkedIn and post content, I would have never gotten into this field because that would have terrified me. Even me updating my profile was terrifying for me because I had this image that all my former bosses would be like, Christine thinks she's a freelance writer now? What the hell is going on here? Like, I just had so many fears. Meanwhile, no one gives a flying crap yeah. about <laughs> my life. But like, when you're, I'm telling you, when you first start out and you put yourself out there online in a certain way, you think that everyone's like making fun of you or, whatever gossiping about you or you just feel like such a fraud, right? Mm-hmm. So optimizing your profile, doing the passive engagement as I call it, liking, commenting, sharing, and then connecting with relevant people, you know, that's one half of it. And then pitching is the other really huge way you can leverage LinkedIn and use it to your advantage. And we can get into this depending on how deep you want to go, but LinkedIn has certain advantages over a lot of the ways that freelancers find clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I definitely want to get into that. But I would I I was going to ask and you kind of touched on it, but I know that people are going to wonder like, what do they do about their past experience? Because, you know, as freelancers, it's like, maybe we were nurses. Maybe we were, you know, we had some some sort of corporate role. Maybe we were like, we come from everywhere, right? We, 90% of us listening don't have a podcast background. So do we keep that on there and just optimize everything else? Or how do you handle that?
1: Yeah. So first thing, regardless of what you're going to do, one of the mistakes people make on LinkedIn is keeping their entire work history.
0: Mm.
1: And especially in today's day and age where everybody has switched jobs a bunch of times and people don't you know, stay somewhere for 10 years, the way they used to, you do not need to put your entire work history. I would also remove the year you graduated college because you can remove any biases about your abilities, whether someone thinks you're too old, too young, whatever, mm-hmm. you don't have to put everything on there regardless. Now, The approach that I take with freelancers is actually, I recommend that freelancers pursue a freelance niche that has some connection to their prior work experience. This is specifically for writers though, because it's really, I would say, compelling for a freelance client to know that you have prior knowledge that does have to do with the subject matter at hand. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of nurse writers come into my course. They did a 20 year stint as a nurse or a healthcare practitioner, and now they want to become a writer and they choose nursing as their writing niche. And that, in that case, it's obvious you would keep your past experience because it's actually what people like. Mm It's what they want to see. Now, if you're in a completely unrelated field, you might be thinking, well, this has zero to do with what I'm trying to market myself as. I think it could be helpful to keep something on there to prove that like you have been doing something with your life. So I don't recommend that you completely wipe your entire work history, like your your prior history and just say, this is what I do Mm -hmm. in the beginning, just because it could build a little bit of credibility. So yeah, I know that was kind of a roundabout way, but there really is no right answer because you technically could have a LinkedIn profile where it's just about podcast management. You started it from scratch and you don't want to add your prior work history. However, if you do want to keep one or two positions in there to show that you've been working and like you're a person who understands how to work, that can mm-hmm. help you
0: too. Yeah. And- similarly some podcast managers come in and like you said they're they're a nurse and so they attract nursing podcasters so but i think really the bigger thing is that you want to look back at your history and and you find the connections right there is a connection because you know you you have interests you have so even if it's like a very like far fetched connection of maybe you were a you know like a dental assistant or like an office manager at a health. It's like you, you dealt with people. Like you said, there's, there's, there's something that you can kind of connect it through. So from what I'm hearing, you're saying probably just keep that stuff that shows that you have maybe those soft skills that are good for freelancing. And then, you know, you know, delete that you worked in an ice cream shop when you were 18.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. It really is a matter of like weaving a story. It's really about what I call the elevator pitch. It's Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, I used to do this. I love doing this. I know about this. And this is why I can really be an asset to your business. Cause I think the other mistake a lot of people make is that they talk about their background and the client is sitting there being like, well, how does that help me? So you really can take so many different, um, you would take a variety of backgrounds, experience, life, experience, passions, and say, well, you know, through that experience, I learned X Y and Z and that's why I would be great for this position. I mean, especially with podcasting because even I'm thinking to myself, okay, how would I position myself as a podcast manager if I wanted to go out and pursue that? Mm-hmm. And when I was in sales, all I did was consume massive amounts of podcasts and I became such an advocate of just the power of audio and being able to be on these long car rides and basically get a college education for free because mm-hmm. there's so much great information. So just me saying that to a podcast client and saying like they're gonna say to themselves wow she mm-hmm. really understands the goal here she's passionate about this and I think she'd do a great job
0: totally exactly and that's one little thing that's like you like podcasts
1: <laughs> right. right so
0: yes it, it's how it's how you say it it's how you you pitch it so I think, you know, those those listening, like you can think of something like that, whether it is just simply, you know, you, that you've you've learned a lot from podcasts or another thing that we talk about is just the, the power of getting people's stories out there. Have you connected with someone's story through a podcast? And you can share that with a client that, you know, their story or whatever they have to say and share is important and you want to help them get it out there. Totally. Yeah. Now. You, you said so many good stuff that I want to get into, but how long does it take to find like on average to find and land clients? Is this a more quicker approach or is this more of a longer term strategy?
1: Yeah. So the name of my program is 30 days to pay because I literally mm-hmm. like, I share the framework that I use to land my first client within 30 days. So you could get an answer to your cold pitch within your first week of sending pitches. It, it, it varies, right? Like you could, it's timing, it's your online presence. It's how many pitches you're sending. Mm -hmm. So it is doable. And I've seen results in my course where people land their first high paying client within that 30 day period. I actually have a timeline of the different stories of my students and like when they enrolled in the course and when they landed their first client. So that's really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Um, But anywhere from one to three months Mm -hmm. is realistic for landing your first high paying client. And when I say high paying, I mean, this is a client that's going to pay maybe your mortgage or your car bill It is going to take time. Like I was probably making a full time income within four to six months, Mm -hmm. but it only took 30 days to get that one client that made me see that this was possible.
0: Yeah, yeah and from the other strategies that we talk about i would say that's one of the a quicker one if you can if it's a possibility to work in 30 days that's great news because then yeah if it takes if it takes 2 months also that's only 8 weeks
1: <laughs> so right.
0: you know that's that's also great news so you you talked about the passive approach of just engaging liking commenting just kind of existing on linkedin what's if if we're doing that and we have an optimi- optimized profile what's the next thing that we want to do
1: the next thing you want to do is choose your ideal client and your niche. Now this might sound simple but pretty much everybody overlooks the importance of this, okay? Mm. Like there's actually a lot of people online who teach freelancing who will say like don't worry you don't have to choose a niche. And I think the thought process behind that is like hey, you should be open to whatever opportunity comes your way, don't box yourself in, but it could not be further from the truth, especially with AI in my field. If you don't have a specialty, it's very hard to get your foot in the door at this point. Okay. Mm. Like there maybe at, in years past, it was a different different situation. Maybe you could choose certain tactics and be a general SEO writer, but unfortunately AI is going to phase out those generalists. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing you can do to kind of secure your freelance career and get your foot in the door and get results fast is to choose an ideal client or a niche that you would want to work for. So in the podcast management space, that might mean choosing health and wellness podcasts, female entrepreneur, business coach podcasts, Mm -hmm. online business podcasts, And the fear is that you're gonna get boxed in, but I'll tell you this, all it does, choosing a niche, is gives you a direction as somebody who's pitching. Because if I just say, hey, get online and send a bunch of cold pitches, you're going to be like, oh my God, well, there's like a million different people. Who do I pitch? What do I do? Where do I look for them? But if you know what type of people you're targeting, you will know how to find them. You'll know, like for me, for example, I'm a B2B technology copywriter. So there are places where I can find those companies. Angelist, now it's called WellFound. That is a tech startup directory. There is Crunchbase. There is G2. These are software specific online directories. If you're in the health and wellness space, you could literally just Google health and wellness podcasts. And of course there's Apple, iTunes, Spotify, those directories, but even like a health publication, like Well Mm. and Good or Goop will have an article that says, these are the health and wellness podcasts we're loving right now. Mm -hmm. Get a list of those podcasts, find out who those podcast hosts are, and then you can form an outreach strategy based on that. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you just say, hey, I'm going to hop on iTunes and look at the top 10 podcasts and cold pitch them with a general pitch, it's going to be tough.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then imagining, you know, trying to be an expert at all 10 of those subjects and in sending it's that's just, you know, it's just a waste. And like we said before, you know, being able to tie in some of your background, even if it's just I'm also a female. So I'm going to get like what what I love when this works is that is whenever you the podcast manager are the ideal listener because then you can bring in so much to the podcast because you say, you know, oh, you know, I would listen to this podcast even if I didn't work work on it. So I can give them feedback. I can I can write even, you know, because we write show notes. I can write even more clearly because I'm I'm going to understand what they're talking about because it's in my interest or it's in my background.
1: Yeah, do you do your students do the editing as well as podcast managers? Yeah. Yeah. So like even that, I don't know what you want to call it, a sizzle clip or like the intro clip, mm-hmm. whatever kind of those first few seconds are being able to say, I'm your ideal listener. I listen to so many podcasts in this space and here's, if I heard this one clip, like I can tell this is the juiciest part of the podcast and I will know to put that first. Like, like mm-hmm. you said, that's, that's the value of being the ideal listener and having mm-hmm. real life experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now there was something that you said that I wanted to circle back to, what was it? you, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to come back to it. But is there anything as far as cold pitching? Oh, I know what it was. So we choose our ideal listener. Is there anyone who isn't, or maybe let's not say it that way. Let's say is who really is on LinkedIn as far as our ideal clients? Like, can you find all different types of, of businesses on LinkedIn still? Or it, does it attract a certain type of business owner?
1: Yeah. So pretty much Everyone is on LinkedIn, or at least they have a profile. Now, how active they are is always going to be a mystery. And it's not a mystery. It's always going to be hit or miss, I guess. Everybody is on there, but they might not be logging onto the platform every single day. However, and I tell my students this because a lot of the questions I get is like, what if my ideal client isn't on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. My response to that is find clients who are on LinkedIn because it is where the higher paying clients tend to be. Mm -hmm. It's just that kind of platform. Whereas Instagram and Facebook, there's such, with other social media platforms, there's such a personal aspect to it that you get such a wide mix of people. With LinkedIn, that is a business audience. People are on there specifically to network with other professionals. And that's why I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast, the advantages of LinkedIn versus Mm -hmm. other social media. I think cold pitching and messaging people and connecting with people is better on that platform because it doesn't feel as slimy or sleazy because you're not sliding into the dms on an instagram page or a facebook page this is somebody's business profile and they're on their do business and the platform is actually created they're incentivizing you to use their messaging feature to do business with people mm-hmm. so there's a certain way to go about it so that you're not turning people off and spamming people but in general your audience on LinkedIn is going to be more receptive to it. Even if you say to yourself, listen, this is a female entrepreneur coach. That's probably not super active on LinkedIn. I, I I don't want to. I've had students tell me that when they messaged like a CEO or somebody, the response they got back was, I never checked LinkedIn, but for whatever reason, your message came through and I would love to talk to you. And the reason for that being is that LinkedIn sends messages from the platform straight to somebody's inbox. Mm-hmm message is doing double duty in the sense that you're not reliant on somebody logging onto a platform. It actually gets sent to their inbox and think of how, think about how efficient that is because you don't have to track down email addresses. Cause that was my big realization with cold emailing. Yes. In theory, cold emailing does work, but how time intensive is it going to be for you to build a list of email addresses that are actually valid? It's very Mm -hmm. time consuming
0: and just have your email stick out. I mean, even with an amazing subject line and all of that, it's just another email. And it's even hard to decipher like what is what are marketing emails? What are emails that are actually just sent to you? So if you if it's a email from LinkedIn saying, hey, you got a message, then that just strikes them as, oh, I, I probably don't get a lot of messages on, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm interested in what this is.
1: Yeah, personalization is really the key, regardless of the platform you use, whether it's Mm -hmm. Instagram, Facebook, email, and email is actually a strategy I teach and something that I do use, but it's always in conjunction with LinkedIn, because Mm -hmm. social is just so much more effective at this point. So if you can mix those touch points of like, hey, I just saw this girl's photo pop up on my LinkedIn message. Now I see her name again in my inbox. It's those touch points that really capture people's attention.
0: Totally. And that's actually what I teach as well is like, I even call it warm pitching because number one, I think some people have like when they hear cold pitching, they get, they, they think of like the sales, like being on a sales floor, but so I call it warm pitching because it's like you warm them up by connecting with them somewhere else, a touch point. And then, but I, I, yes, I love email and LinkedIn, how you're describing it because there is that formality. Like they are expecting you to to be, you know, to be pitching in a business setting. Whereas, you know, if someone like responds to a story of your kids, they're like, oh my gosh, they're so cute. By the way, do you need, and then they go into a pitch. It's like, okay, yeah, I am here to do business, but you also, but I also have personal. So it's,
1: yeah, so it's yeah. interesting. There's definitely a connotation and no shade to anyone who does multi-level marketing, but we've all been on the receiving end of one of those multi-level marketing pitches where somebody's like, Hey girl, your hair is so pretty and you should sell the shampoo. And I have a great opportunity for you. So I want to also make it clear that what we're doing as freelancers with cold pitching, even though it feels foreign to reach out to somebody you don't know, it is much different than a lot of the cringy stuff that people might might be receiving online, because I think that's everyone's first inclination and what scares them off is they're like, listen, I've been on the receiving end of those cold pitches or those sales tactics. And like, I'm not that person. So why would I even do this? There has to be a better way, but you're not doing that. And what I find with myself and my students is that people will respond to the pitch saying, thank you so much for reaching out. I was going to need to post this job listing and go through all this trouble to find a freelancer. And you just popped in at the exact time that I needed you. Mm-hmm. So I would love to do like a whole podcast episode of breaking down the negative connotations of cold pitching that just aren't true. But unfortunately, selling makes people queasy.
0: <laughs> right. And I think, you know, as, as freelancers, we have to get more comfortable with with selling. You know, and if you're not listening, if you are like, every time I hear, hear the word sell, I get so cringe. I think that tells you that you you want to listen to a book. You want to, you know, listen to an audiobook or something to, to kind of get a good mindset around selling because selling is serving. And yes, there are there are cringy things to do to sell, and then there are not. So it's all about perspective and and all of that. So if that does feel like a sticking point for you, then go do a little bit of education on that so that you can come come at this, whether it's cold pitching or just anything, with a more positive, well-rounded mindset around you know being a business owner, really. I mean, as business owners, we sell. And in this case, we're selling a service, which I think people are way more comfortable selling a service than selling a product. But but still, you want to make sure that you, you have a good positive mindset about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, even the like something that I always say is that this is a numbers game, right? Like mm. sending pitches is a numbers game. And people can have a really strong reaction to that too because they're like, well, people aren't numbers. I care about my business. I care about my clients. I love my clients. They're not just a number. So even like you were saying, do some work around that. Do some work around the term conversion rate and understanding what a funnel is, whether it's a marketing or a sales funnel, because your clients live and breathe this stuff. They know Mm -hmm. what it takes to do business. They're trying to get in front of an audience. And they understand that a certain amount of people at the top of the funnel, only a certain amount are going to shake out as customers at the bottom of the funnel. So maybe we need different terms because like saying, oh, it's just a numbers game might seem impersonal, but the word conversion rate literally means that you are trying a certain amount of times and statistically it will result in a certain amount of sales. So yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking when you were saying that. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, ha- I hadn't really thought about just like how that could feel impersonal when really it's just like you can be very personal or or care, but at the same time, someone might not need your service and someone may, you know, may be waiting for your service. So it's just about getting in front of all sorts of people and, and see, like you said, seeing kind of how it shakes out. So as far as this cold pitching goes when you're reaching out to people in the the DMs of LinkedIn are you are you warming them up at all or are you just crafting a really warm cool pitch and sending that
1: So the way that LinkedIn is structured is that you have to first connect with them and become quote unquote, part of their network in order to be able to send them a full message. So on LinkedIn, you will have the ability to either connect with somebody with a generic invitation. It'll just say, I would like to connect. What I advise my students to do is personalize that connection invitation with a very short introduction. Now I want everyone to make it clear that they are reaching out for freelance opportunities. So with your audience, it would be, Hey, you know, I'm a podcast manager. I see you have a podcast. I would love to connect. It's more of a soft pitch, but you're still being very transparent about what your intentions are. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not go into that first connection request saying, let's hop on a meeting. I don't include a link to my portfolio. So it's a softer approach in the beginning. If they accept my invitation, Let's say they accept my invitation, but they don't send, they don't respond, right? Mm -hmm. I will go in with a longer pitch and say, hey, you know, I see that you're doing this. Here's what I do. Let me know if it makes sense for us to connect further. Are you looking for this at the time? There's just certain... Etiquette, and I guess I learned that in sales, is that you don't want to come on too strong. If somebody hasn't even confirmed that they're looking for a podcast manager at the moment, and you're saying, hey, do you have time for a call? Mm -hmm. It might be like a little mismatched or a little like, okay, you're not reading the room. Mm -hmm. So my approach is send a connection request, personalize it, be upfront about what you do and what you offer. And if you gain some traction with them, feel free to go in with a full pitch. The worst they can do is not answer you. As someone who was a former salesperson who used to have people curse me off and like yeah. escort me out of buildings, you will never experience that pitching your freelance services. People are very nice and respectful to freelancers. Yeah.
0: Or just don't respond. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah The
1: you're- worst you can get is silence, which is- a much appreciated thing <laughs> if you've been treated worse than that so yeah
0: now i think that's so you know that's so good just like reading the room like you said like you want to make that you want to make that connection but you're still in a professional setting so you don't you know you don't need to like be super warm and fuzzy but you're just saying hey this is who i am if it makes sense i like that term like just like if it makes sense for us to connect then you know then they'll 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 add you as a connection. And then just like taking them to that next step of, hey, if they're interested in connecting, they're interested in hearing more about you. So take the initiative to send that message. Don't wait for them to say, hey, tell me more about your services, right?
1: Right. And that's the biggest mistake. This One of the biggest mistakes people make with that connection request on LinkedIn is that, they are afraid to come right out and say what they do so they'll say like hey i stumbled i stumbled across your profile and would love to be part of your network like these generic vague invitations just are not going to cut it especially if you're going after those higher quality clients because if they're active on LinkedIn, they probably have a big network and they're not accepting just any request that comes their way. So you really want to prime your pitch and your profile to be enticing and be like, okay, this is a person that even if I don't need them right now, it could be useful to have this person in my network. If you have no profile picture, if your pitch is super generic, or you don't even bother to send that, that generic, or if you don't bother to personalize that request, mm-hmm. you probably will get ignored.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then I would assume that like if you do connect with someone and then you send them a pitch and they say, Oh, I'm actually not looking for one right now, you could say, Oh, you know, if if you know someone who's looking for one, I'd love to be referred. And then maybe they'll say, Oh, well, I'm not looking for one now, but I am going to be looking. So that's why I connected with you or or whatnot.
1: Yeah. It LinkedIn is so, so powerful in terms of just having that network of people because some of my biggest clients have come from let's say their marketing department will say, hey, we're looking for this role, this role, and this role. And then when I see their marketing department is hiring, I go in and I'm like, hey, I saw you weren't looking for a copywriter specifically, but it looks like your team is hiring and you're gonna need some content help. If you are looking for one, I would love to connect. Here's my Mm -hmm. link. So there's all these different ways that you can personalize your pitch and you can get creative and position yourself in a way and it really does work, so. Mm,
0: That's so powerful. Now, oh, follow-ups. I know people are like screaming follow-up as I, as we're talking, what do you recommend as far as follow-ups?
1: Yeah. So personally I follow up a maximum of three to four times and I Mm -hmm. like to space that follow-up out by at least a week with the connection request. One of the biggest questions I get is like, okay, they accepted my request, but they did not respond. Mm -hmm. When do I go in with that follow-up pitch? I do think it's a best practice to strike while the iron is hot. If they just hit the accept button, you coming in with your message and just saying, hey, thanks for reaching out or thanks for connecting. Here's what I do. I noticed this about you, you know, continue the conversation. But yes, the the gold really is found in the follow-up. I have definitely chased down some clients Especially in my field in B2B, these people have so many shifting priorities. Things are moving so fast. One minute they're doing this project and then it all falls apart and they're moving on to the next thing. So you'd be surprised at how easy it is to fall off someone's radar. Mm-hmm. But they- really should stay on top of them. Something that I, this is like a little trick. And I learned this actually during my freelance time, not in my sales career, because someone pitched me. I also hire writers and that's a whole other story, but I source teams of writers. So I'm on the receiving end of these pitches as well. And a writer was pitching me, of course, you know, I'm not answering because I'm waiting for my higher up to get word on whether or not we're going to move forward. these things. -hmm. And she said, hey, Christine, this is the last time I'll be following up with you. If you're interested, I would love to, you know, keep this conversation moving. But something, she, she wrote it more gracefully than that. And I actually created a template out of it so that people could actually steal her message. But what really stood out to me was like, it was this last chance of like, hey, this is the last time I'm going to be reminding you about this. But if you do decide to, you know, if, if you do need a writer, I'm here, let me know. It was very polite. It was mm-hmm. leaving the door open, but it was letting me know that, hey, I'm not reaching out to you anymore, so these reminders aren't going to come to you. So, mm-hmm. if you want to work together, this is your last chance. So, I I do love sending my last pitch with that little message of just being like, "Hey, this is the last time I'll be reaching out, but please feel free to reach out to me when you're ready."
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds a little bit of like, it's it's it also is just like, "Hey, I've been intentional with you, and I'm still open to working with you, but you know, I you know, I understand that maybe you you don't necessarily aren't saying this, but like this might not be the right time, and I'm also going to move on. But I'm here, but I'm going to move on."
1: Yes. And there's so much with pitching that there's these subtle ways that we signal our worth and, mm, and yes, so that we're not over eager, that we're not desperate. Like even on LinkedIn, there's this thing called open to work. It's a little watermark that goes over your profile photo. And if you're hiring, it's a purple watermark that says I'm hiring. If you are open to work and seeking work, you have a green watermark that says open to work. Now, as a freelancer, your inclination is, well, I'm open to opportunities. Yes, I don't recommend that freelancers put that on their profile because honestly, you want to send the message that you are booked and busy, even Mm -hmm. if you are not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Screaming, I'm open to work is kind of giving unemployed vibes and you just don't want that. So there's all these little things in our communication and what we do with people that signal of like, does this person have a lot going on or are they sitting there waiting for the right opportunity and no one else is working with them, should I be cautious about working with them? So I want people in the pitching process to be careful too, to not be super, super overeager as well. hundred percent. It's a really good
0: point. And, And just, I love that you said that thing about your worth, but Christine, this has been so helpful. I think that there's just been so many good nuggets here. So I appreciate that so much. I know that you have a guide for LinkedIn. So where can we grab that after this episode?
1: Yeah. So if you visit paidcopywriter.com, there's going to be a tab that says free downloads. You can go right on there and download the guide. It'll come right to your inbox. And it basically just gives you a background about my story, similar to what I told in the beginning of like how I really didn't have experience and how I took that step-by-step approach to setting myself up as a freelance copywriter online. And then how I got on LinkedIn and started pitching. It's very straightforward. A lot of people have reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, this guide has helped me so much. So (laughs) if you're new to LinkedIn, in and you have to create your profile from scratch or your profile just needs a freelance makeover, definitely check out that guide and message me. I love hearing from people.
0: Yes, I think that's going to be so helpful. I know people are going to go grab that after this episode. Once again, thank you so much. We will make sure all of the links to connect with you and that guide are in the show notes. And thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Lauren. This was great.
0: Yay.